that aspect of loving what you're doing is so critical. I, I'm not saying something that is, is actually false, which is just follow your passion and the money will follow. It's not true. But what is true is that if you're doing something that you love and is fun, it's more likely that it will happen. This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Anthony Barlow. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help you define the work that is unapologetically you and then go get it. If you feel like you were meant for more and you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Is there any particular subject or area that people tend to come to you for? Maybe you're great at creating travel itineraries, or maybe everybody comes to you when they have a problem and need to talk about it. So you don't even have an answer on this right away. But as you're listening to this episode, thinking on this can actually be really helpful as a way to begin figuring out how to do work that you enjoy. In fact, happened to your career turned 10 years old this year. And this is exactly how I started our company. I think we always view getting fired as a negative thing or that it's it's personal, but sometimes it's actually the right thing for us or for, or for another person. If we're leading and we've got somebody in that position, letting them go is not always a bad thing. By the way, that's Dave Crenshaw. And this episode is going to flip the script a bit because I was a guest on his podcast, The Dave Crenshaw Success Project. He asked me really intriguing questions, many that I haven't been asked before on other podcasts and other guest appearances. And I enjoyed our conversation so much that I wanted to share it here on our podcast. Also, an unexpected subject we dove into was Dave and I discovered we both have been diagnosed with ADHD. We had a really great discussion about how each of us have been able to harness it. Uh, allowing us to create unique career pathways that work for us, allowed us to be successful. And I've shared different parts of my story over the years, but I've never really laid out the full origin story as Dave refers to it. And with HDYC turning 10 years old this year, it was nice to be able to reflect on many of the career changes I personally made and how each one of them, even being in a rock band, have contributed to HDYC that exists today. Let's jump into the conversation. So I always like to start by asking people the same question, because what we're going to do is we're in a very loose chronological order. We're going to explore your career path. So when you were a teenager, what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> all the things. I wanted to be all okay. the things. No, the real answer is that it changed quite a bit. I started out wanting to be a, I wanted to go into space at one point. And then there was a nice. period of time where I wanted to be a video game designer. I drew very, very, I guess, long video game. This was back when video games only scrolled two ways, like 2D along a screen. Sure. Yeah. So, the Legend of Zelda 2. Oh, right? yeah. That was one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So there was that point all the way to architect to I wanted to be in a band as I really got interested in music. Nice. There was quite a few different things. And when I realized I was not going to be in a band for my the rest of my life, because <laughs> uh, it turns out bands travel all the time. And I realized when I was 15, I didn't want to do what? that. Oh, so it was 15. What kind of music were you doing? I was 
I was really into like Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Nirvana but also uh, blues. And like there was a point in time where I got asked to play with a blues band. And uh, it turns out I wasn't old enough to go into the bars and play. So <laughs> yeah, there's that. There was, there was that, but well, yeah, quite, quite a bit. Yeah. But that, that was my main, like Pearl Jam was you know, literally the password when I only had one word passwords for a long, long, long time. <laughs> well, that, that sounds like a, a child of, of the nineties, uh, yes, talking about Nirvana. Um, yeah. So, cause I also had a band for a few years. Oh, really? Yeah. This was in the, in the early two thousands, but yeah, my wife supported me while I had a band. So there's that is fantastic. I'm learning so much about you, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're here to learn about you, but it's still, still fun to make that connection. So so what did you study when you went to college? What was your, your focus then? Similar to my childhood, you'll notice a few patterns here. Okay. I made a lot of changes. I think I changed majors nine times, if I recall correctly. Wow. So with that many major changes, the question that comes to my mind is, if you've been diagnosed with ADHD? Yes. And uh, if okay. I'm not mistaken, right. you have as well. Is that yes. correct? Yep. Freaking off the charts ADHD yes. is what the psychologist said to me. Freaking off the charts. That is, I love that official diagnosis. I would put yeah. that on your resume and every place else. Yeah. Well, every time I get on stage, I, I tell that story. But So where did your knowledge of that at what point did your knowledge of that diagnosis come? Did that come later? Did that much come... later in life. Yeah. Much okay. Later in life. In my late twenties. Okay. Yeah. All right. I just knew yeah. that I couldn't stick with things for some reason. And that was how it showed up. I was very excited about things. I would learn rapidly and I would blow through all the learning, do a huge amount of creation and focus on whatever I was excited about. And then get very bored very quickly and my performance would tank in whatever area I was interested in at the time. And then I would move on and then I would feel bad about myself and shame myself and all the things. And then, and then wonder what was going on. And then I'd move on to the next thing and forget about it and be excited. That's boy that, yeah, that again, that sounds so familiar. Yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't until I, so I was probably around 29, 20, uh, 30, that's where I went and said, I'm jumping from career to career. I don't want to be like this because I want to be a father that can consistently provide for my family. What's going on? And then that's when I got the diagnosis. So for me, that was a turning point in figuring out, oh, I have a name and a face to this. I can manage it by you learning skills. Was it like that for you? Was getting that diagnosis helpful or was it more just, well, that's great knowledge, but it's not changing my behavior uh, at all? That's a great question. And I don't, even though... On on our show, the Happen to Career podcast, we've talked about this topic a lot. And I've just with friends talked about this topic a lot. I don't think I've been exactly asked that question before. Let me think about it for a second. I, I, I think by that point in time, I was accepting that I was wired differently, even though I didn't understand where it was coming from. Okay. And I was starting to really leverage that and use that to my advantage. So... What I'm very thankful for is I had a variety of people in my life that were willing to take me on and deal with the the negative sides of how ADHD showed up and yeah. 
And that really allowed me to cultivate the very, very positive sides of it, which gave me a huge competitive advantage to all people who don't you know, have ADHD. Yeah. So it's interesting. In all the interviews I've done, this topic has not come up really? yet. Interesting. No, yeah, it hasn't. I mean, maybe someone mentioned it offhand, but not like this. And so I, I do want to dig in a little bit to it because what people don't realize is, you know, with, it depends on the statistics you look at, but you know, let's, let's, let's go on the high end. We're talking about 10%. So 10% of the people in the world has, have the clinical condition of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder that is almost always genetic in the way that it's passed. So usually you see a parent. Did, did you have a parent that was dealing yeah, with it? Yeah. So we were just celebrating my dad's birthday this past week. We mm-hmm. all went and stayed in a big house and everything. And my dad cannot sit down, just cannot. He'll hold conversation for a little bit, just then he's on to the next thing. So yeah. yes, he was the, he okay. was the parent. So, and, and what that means is you either work with somebody or you know somebody, or you've got somebody in your family that's dealing with this. And so, so I want to ask a question that's a little more personal with it. Yeah. How functional were you prior to getting the diagnosis? Because I think functionality is a very, very important aspect of knowing what you're dealing with. Hmm. I think it depends on how you define functional. However, for me, in some ways, I had learned to operate well around other people and in certain environments. And part of that was because I, I kept finding myself over and over. And this is actually thanks to my dad too. My dad very much has this, we're just going to figure it out type of attitude. It doesn't matter what it is. Like we're going to, we're going to launch a rocket in the backyard. No, a big rocket. And like, (laughs) we'll just figure out how to do it. No, none of us are rocket scientists, but we'll figure it out. You know, and that's very much what I grew up with. So I, I think that that type of mentality really helped to carry me through to figure out how Mm. to operate in so many different environments and combined with the fact that I was around really challenging situations and I kept taking on very, very challenging situations over and over again that propelled my skills and development and forced me, whether I liked it or not, to find ways to deal with it positively. Also many ways Mm. to deal with it negatively, but then it became this sort of petri dish and experimentation where I could pick and choose and see that this method allowed me to build a relationship with my family and with the, my coworkers. And this other method allowed me to get a lot of stuff done, but I, you know, would tank all the relationships and, and people around me. Yeah. Well, I love how you're, you took that and were looking for ways to use it to your advantage. And what I like about your story is you're highlighting something that I tell people, which is every strength has an associated weakness and every weakness has an associated strength. And I, I feel like there are a couple of camps that I see way too often when it comes to ADHD. One is the person who says, this is not a superpower, right? This isn't uh, a good thing. And if you start treating it like it has a good thing, people don't take it seriously and they don't they don't believe that it needs help, right? And and I feel like that does a discredit to the value that a weakness can be turned into a strength like ADHD. And then there's the other camp that's like, this is this is a superpower and it's wonderful and I can do anything with it because I have ADHD, which also is not accurate. There is there is a cost associated with it, and there are skills that we must learn to manage yeah. it. Yeah. 
we have a, I don't think it really matters what you call it. However, we have a tendency in our organization to think about this as there are a really positive side and you know, what you're calling strengths. And then also of those strengths, there is a shadow side or what we've referred to over the years of as an, uh, as an anti-strength essentially. And I think what is really fascinating about that is that's just as true for ADHD as it is for any other way that someone is wired, whether it is more normalized or not. And what, yes. what I found, and this is the part that really just fascinates me, is that, you know, is this, is this actually a disorder at all? Or is it just one of the many, many, many ways in which people are wired. And I think that's one of the reasons I love looking at it through the strengths lens is because then a lot of that stuff starts to fall away and you realize the same rules are true no matter how you operate, no matter what way your brain is structured. And I find that to be a healthier place to, to operate from. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's return to your story. What did you graduate in when you graduated from college? When I finally graduated, I was a super senior, partially because I you know, made all the changes along the way. And eventually I started a business doing painting and light contracting and a number of other things too. And that was way more fun than studying to me, but it caused me to take an extra year. I was taking a really low amount of credits and then I was working 60 hours a week with my, essentially my, actually, I guess it was my third business at that point, but the first successful one, when I finally graduated, I realized that I loved the business elements. And so Mm -hmm. I graduated with a human resources degree, a general management degree, and I'm pretty sure I dropped my other major of marketing at the same time. I think there, I had like one or two more classes, but I wanted to get out of there. So that was, that was it. After all the nine changes, that's where I ended up. And after that, there was a period of time that you basically entered the corporate world. How did you make a transition from that of basically being a business owner, doing odd jobs, subcontracting work to actually working for a, a, a structured corporation? Very poorly. (laughs) <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, but here's what I mean. It's it's not necessarily, I've heard a lot of people say, hey, I'm unemployable and I could never, ever work for another organization. And it wasn't about that for me as much, not at that time. Instead, it was more that I had this situation that I actually loved. I had, you know, at the height of it, I had about 20 people working for me in that business. And oh, nice. it was was really profitable. I made, I don't know, like 40 or 40 ish thousand dollars a year, which might as well have been a million dollars when I was a college student. And, and it, it was enjoyable. I was learning all the time. And although I didn't love, you know, contracting and exterior painting, it wasn't the world's most fun thing. It was definitely useful skills and I was contributing. So I went from that set of feelings and something that I was really enjoying to doing what I felt I was supposed to do. I didn't have any positive role models for business owners around me. So instead, I assumed that what you did to be successful was you went and got a job and then you move up the ladder really quickly and then you make lots of money and then you're happy, right? Isn't, is that not how it goes, Dave? That's, that's, that's the dream in air quotes. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So I I just, with my limited 
exposure, I didn't understand that that was a thing that you could do. It's, it sounds crazy, but I just, I didn't understand. I didn't get it. So instead, I thought that when I had this really wonderful job offer or what other people considered to be a good job that paid reasonably well, and I was going to be able to, they were going to buy me a BMW and all these, all these things. And my friends and family are saying, oh my goodness, you've got a job straight out of college. Like you, you've got to take that. You've got to do that. I assumed that I, I had to. So I sold all yeah. the pieces of my business and, you know, assets and the trucks and things like mm. that. And then I went to work and it wasn't great. Do you regret that you did that? Do you I, sold off I the business? did at first, like almost immediately. I'm like, wow, this mm -hmm. is terrible. But here's what ended up happening out of that, that experience, which I don't think I would change for almost anything is I went and I was, I was there for a year and I was working in Portland, Oregon area. And so I was commuting, you know, my commute was roughly about two, two and a half, sometimes three hours a day going wow. uh, both ways. And I was sitting in traffic. So I was having a lot of time to contemplate and a lot of time just hating life. And I, I legit had these thoughts over and over again every single day where I was like, oh my goodness, is this, is this what life is really like? Is this what you're supposed to do? Like, is this what adulting is? And <laughs> I thought I just couldn't hack it. So I kept trying over and over again. And at some point I realized this is terrible. Like I had gained 50 pounds and mm. I was just not happy and my wife and brand new bride at the time was not happy with me either because I was working 80 plus hour weeks. And oh so goodness. I decided I have to have a conversation with my boss. So this is the part that ended up changing everything. Okay. He, he worked in another state actually. So I called him on the phone. He listened for you know, 20, 30 minutes, asked a lot of questions, a lot of really great questions, carrying questions is what I'd say. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is, why didn't I have this conversation a long time ago? And then what happened is three weeks later, he came into town and then he fired me. And Interesting. Yeah. So that took a very different turn than what I expected. But I would say the wonderful, to answer your earlier question really quick, the yeah. wonderful, really positive thing that came out of that is on the way driving home after being fired and realizing, oh crap, I brought my, my new bride down here and she doesn't, I don't know if we don't even have a job to show for it. I took her away from her family and everything. And like, now I have to tell her, oh my goodness, I have to like call her and tell her. And it was pouring rain as it does in Portland sometimes. And I'm like, I can never, ever, ever, ever do this again. Like I have to figure out a way to take control of, of my career mm -hmm. and figure out how to have something that's much more fulfilling that also earns it quite a bit of money. And so that was the start, which became, you know, a 25 year journey almost at this point to what has led to now. So that's, there you go. Do you feel that him firing you was actually a kindness or was it no. that he just knew you didn't want to work there and you know, what, at first I was, in? well, at first I was really embarrassed, honestly, for so many different reasons. And I wasn't that old, I wasn't that mature necessarily. And so I, I was embarrassed and I felt, I felt like he had taken it out on me and it's like, well, why, uh, why did, okay. 
And that, that I don't think was reality. I think he was making what he felt was the best decision for the organization at the time, because I also wasn't performing very well because I hated it. Oh my goodness. I, it was despised it. Um, and I'm not somebody who can just like fake it at work necessarily. I have to actually feel great about my situation to perform wonderful as well. Yeah, of course. But here's the, here's the interesting part of that. Many years later, I ran into a number of people that I had worked with at the organization and we started talking about it and ended up connecting with him and realized that he was actually very conflicted about that. He didn't really want to fire me, but my performance was so bad that he felt that he, that he had to, and didn't really have another alternative at that point in time. Like that section of the organization that I was leading was not doing very well. And he felt like it was legit the right thing to do. So yeah, that's why I asked that because I think we always view getting fired as a negative thing or that it's it's personal, but sometimes it's actually the right thing for us or for, or for another person. If we're leading and we've got somebody in that position, letting them go is not always a bad thing. And as you're telling that story, it's it's reminding me of a couple of things. I have a book called The Focus Business. Yeah. And the book actually compares entrepreneurs to superheroes. And what I do is I say, there are seven supervillains that are trying to destroy you mm. and, and your business. They're, I'm talking about real world things like yep. marketing and customers, employees. So there are two things in your story that, that remind me of that. Number one is the concept of the bear. And the bear is a villain who is in a business. They're working in your business and they're creating messes everywhere that they go. And a lot of people have a really, really hard time letting go of that person when in fact it's better for them to let them go. It, it will help them be more successful. And the other thing is, you know, as you're talking about standing in the rain in Portland and making that decision, mm-hmm. that's an origin story right there, right? That's a pivotal moment. And one of the origin stories that applies, and I, you know, I'm talking about the book talks about entrepreneurs, but I think it applies to other people as well is adversity. You, you're faced with a terrible moment and it forces you to make a decision. This is the this is the Iron Man story, right? He's, he's trapped in a cave and he has to build the Iron Man suit to escape. It's the same thing. Like you were saying, I can't do this to my family. And that spurred you to create really the beginning part of the business that you have now, which is quite successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that the other thing that I'm really thankful for, though, you're talking about firing people. I've fired hundreds of people like multiple hundreds of people over the last 20 years. And I think that I, it's caused me to look very, very differently. Getting fired at such a young age in my first, you know, quote unquote, professional role, that great role that everybody told me I was supposed to get. It's really changed how I looked at it because it became such a wonderful situation for me. I now think about it more as what happens if this person stays here? What am I denying them of? Because if they're not doing well and they're not benefiting the organization, first of all, they're blocking the spot for some other person in the world that can fill that. And we're denying that person. But more importantly, we're denying this other person to go find what they are really wonderful at, what would be meaningful in their life right now. And yes, this is, this is very much how we look at things in our organization. Uh, A lot of people look at our you know, website or listen to our podcast and like, oh, you help people make career changes. But really what we do is we are focused on changing how people think about and actually do work. And this is a great example of a different way to think about 
what work even is and what creates a great situation for you, this situation of being fired. Yeah. Well, I love how you took that. I mean, that experience that you you had working in, in corporations helps you now too, because now you understand what that was like. I don't think you'd have the success that you're having now in teaching people about their careers if you hadn't gone through that path. No. And I wouldn't, place. out of those hundreds of people, I've probably had about half of them. Well, let's be honest, like the first half of them, like I had somebody throw Cheetos at me and other things, but like <laughs> the later, the last, right. you know, about 150 or so people would like, we would basically end up in tears together and then they would say thank you. And we had hug on the way out the door. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad that you just said that because that's exactly what I say in my book in the focus business. Interesting. Then one of the most common thing I ask, you know, I ask the audience, what do you think people say when you fire them? If they're the bear and they're making these messages, what do you think they say? And the word is it's thank you. Cause, cause, and, and the people around you say, thank you. Right. Cause that's also part of it. It's not just the individual. It's the collateral damage that's happening with the other employees yeah. who are dealing with this. <laughs> it's a terrible thing and no one wants to hear this really. But the truth is, Sometimes being let go or letting someone go is a catalyst for them finding success in the future. Yeah. And that's, yeah. What if it were the best thing that could happen to them? Just like it was the best thing, one of the best things certainly that happened to me in my life. Like what if, what if it was that way, especially if we can, you know, love and support them in that particular way? Yes. Certainly. Yeah. Talk to me about the early stages of what is now your career. What were some of the first steps that you took? To, that led to, would you say that the, the creation of the podcast was the first big thing? What was the first big step where you were making money and profitable? Well, with the, with our organization happened to your career, this came, oh my goodness, many years later. So we're about 10 years old now, and this is 2023. So 2013 okay. is where, where began it and began it with the podcast and coaching. And those were, that's basically what we had. That was, that was the business in itself. People paid us money via coaching and we would help them make ginormous career changes or help them get raises or help them find fulfilling work. And then the podcast became really the catalyst for how the business continued to develop because through that source, we started getting feedback from people all over the world. And we started realizing that my experience of having less than mediocre work is a normal experience. And Mm. that's what most people in the world have. And unfortunately, even when you look at, I don't know, there's so many studies out there and Gallup as an organization does a really nice job providing a lot of that data. But Gallup has even gotten rid of the terminology they used to use, use what they would call a great job, something that is like really highly fulfilling, like where people are enamored with their work. And Uh they now, it's such a small portion. When you read their most current studies, they don't even put it in there anymore. Instead, they focus on what what creates a good job, what they call a good job. And that's, that's now the goal. Like we are, we are after a good job because so few people have great work that it seems almost unattainable. And I, although I love, love, love the work that they do at Gallup, I wish that they would not continue to choose that because it's a misnomer, especially today more so than ever before. So anyhow, to answer your question, 
the podcast was the catalyst to getting all of the feedback, meeting people all over the world and realizing that people are having these experiences and that we could uniquely help them think about this and change their reality in a very different way. How did you get your first clients for coaching? That, that is usually the hardest part. So you mm. built the happened to your career, but where did the first people come from that actually paid you to get this consultation in coaching? Hmm. That should be an easy question. I feel like I should remember that forever. You know, well, here's the reason why it's a little bit convoluted for me because I, I was, <laughs> I, I was at the time my wife and I, we were very focused on me becoming a VP of this organization that I work for really wonderful organization, really had a great experience with them. And the goal was I was going to become a VP of HR for their organization. You know, they flew me to headquarters and everything. We were picking out a house to head down that track. We're going to you know, have a house built. Like that's how serious we were about it. And then at some point we realized that our goal was to move to Omaha, Nebraska, to be able to be on the VP track so that we could then earn enough money and get the resume experience to then come back to Moses Lake, Washington, where we lived. And we kind of had this realization moment where it's like, this is, this is stupid. Like, why, why would we do this? Like, we're already like, we're going to do it for the money. We're already earning great money. Are we going to do it for the resume? Like, I don't need more experience on the resume. And so we started questioning everything. And one of the, one of the ideas that came out of that is that I had wanted to go back to owning my own business again. And I had told that to the people that had hired me. I had also told them it was going to be like 10 years in the future, but that accelerated that. And, and we realized, okay, well, what's that going to look like? Well, at that same time, I had been going and meeting with people just for fun because people, as it turns out, when they heard all my stories of career change and like, how did you get a $40,000 raise here when they said they weren't giving raises or promotions and how'd you go from you know, operations into HR, all these things, they would ask, well, how did you do that? And so turns out I like coffee and they were willing to buy me coffee to tell them how I did that and then share insight, which then they could duplicate. So I was doing that a lot. So I was getting paid in coffee for a while. Okay. And then at some point, people starting to offer, started to offer to pay. They were sending me thank you notes and gift cards. And I'm like, this is, this is great. Like, I will take all the Starbucks gift cards you can send me. So people were paying you before you were asking to be paid? Yes. Oh, wow. So here's the... That's, here's, that's interesting. I'm the type of person sometimes where the burner has to... I have to touch it a few times to realize that it's hot. And that was certainly <laughs> the case here because... I was having that experience and we're like, well, I could own a business. What kind of business could I start? And only after like the 20th or 30th of these conversations and people offering to pay, did I realize, oh, maybe there's something here. Oh yeah, that could make sense. I'm already doing that. Yeah. So it was accidental in that way and very organic. Um, How long did it take you, like, would you guess roughly, was it months? Was it years of this happening until you finally, like, it clicked in your head? It had been going on for a couple of years. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And it was, I mean, this is something I was just literally doing for fun because friends and coworkers and family had asked. And I'm like, yeah, I can, sure. I'll, yes, please. There's, there's a phrase that you just tossed in there and someone might miss it, but I want to highlight it, mm -hmm. which was for fun. 
And a lot of people who are really successful, I've done these interviews and I see other people that I've coached, that aspect of loving what you're doing is so critical. I, I'm not saying something that is, is actually false, which is just follow your passion and the money will follow. It's not true. But what is true is that if you're doing something that you love and is fun, it's more likely that it will happen. You got to add the gifts and the skills to that. You also got to add the training to it. And so the fact that you were just doing this for fun was, I think, part of the reason why you were good at it and part of the reason why people were so interested in, in paying you for it. I agree. And I think there's something else that's really subtle in there that gets lost. Like if you think about it from a strategic point of view, if you are not having fun, as you said, and if you're not doing something for fun, then when you go to get paid for it later on, then if you're starting out with something that is not fun, it's not going to become fun. Mm. Most of the time, it's what are the things that you can't stop doing? There you go. Yeah. Is a better question. Like I observed this phenomenon over and over again when I was working in HR is that I would have these conversations where I was coaching leaders and coaching managers and they'd be like, ah, this person is not performing. And I would ask them about it. And what we'd find is that they're exhibiting their strengths, the things that they can't stop doing. And that is manifesting in a way that the manager doesn't believe is contributing to their job. So quick example, this guy was a pretty new line level supervisor, if you will. And he couldn't stop going from place to place and like talking. And the byproduct of that was he built really strong relationships with the team. Everybody loved this guy. They would bend over backwards for him, whatever he needed. The other side of that was his boss felt he was shirking his duties because he wouldn't stop talking to other people. And he, mm. he, he literally could not stop. We could not have paid him enough money or dropped the, dropped the whip on him or any of those things. We couldn't have changed that behavior because it was so innate. And that's what he was having fun with. So he moved on to a completely different job in a different organization where that's what he got to do. And he did so, I think it was like double the pay rate and he's much happier. Oh, that's an interesting story. So you started the podcast quite a while ago. Mm -hmm. Now you're in the top 0.5% on listen notes, which is, if you're not familiar with it, that's a pretty big milestone to hit. That means your, your podcast is quite popular. What are some of the, the moments that you think have led to the success that you have now? Like how, did, how did you get to that, that level with the podcast? I mentioned it earlier, but that feedback from our listeners is infinitely valuable. Hmm. And I think there's two sides to that. One, I think part of my strengths allow me to sift through data really well and sift through feedback and resources and incoming information really well. And that's just built into how I am wired very, very much. And part of that is because I kind of, in some ways, not that I am a sociopath, but in some ways, don't really care about what many other people think. There are certainly people in my life where I care a lot about what they think. My wife, I very much care about what she thinks. My kids, I, I definitely care about what they think and certainly other people too. But it's served me very well in that uh, when I get a lot of feedback, it helps me to pay attention to the stuff that is going to be most useful for the people that we felt 
at the time we could serve best. And so what would happen is we'd take those little bits of feedback and we'd apply it. And we made this show just, just for these people, essentially. And Mm. the funny thing about any kind of marketing and psychology is that everybody wants to, everybody wants to make things more vanilla, if you will. You've probably heard this example in various different ways, but the tendency is like, we get all the feedback and we do all the things. And then all of a sudden we have this very vanilla show, very terrible, bland show in so many different ways. And instead we focused on just one tiny group and what that happens is we made it for them, but then other people want to come along for the ride. And that's caused it to grow quite a bit over the, over the years. But more importantly than that, it's caused it to be super valuable to a group of people to where they just, I literally had a person yesterday email me and said, I will be a raving fan forever. Thank you so much. Like that wasn't something like we put into their head. Like that's what they wrote in the email. And that's the type of relationship that we had strived to create. So that's, that's been a big part of it is just sifting through feedback, but also getting that feedback and, and trying to serve the people that we feel we can help best. That's got to feel really gratifying to hear that, that kind of response. It is. People, especially when you, you've been working on it for almost 10 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. It really is. I, I feel obligated, I think is the right word and the right feeling to continue to find new and better ways to serve those folks. Hey, if you've been listening to our episodes here at Happened to Your Career and you want to make an intentional career change to much more meaningful work and have it neatly laid out into an organized framework, well, guess what? We actually have that available for you in the Happen to Your Career book. It's available on Amazon, Audible, anywhere else where you get your books. You'll learn about the five hidden obstacles stopping your career change, how to figure out what would truly make you happy with your career, and what brings you more happy more often. And more importantly, how to transition to a much more fulfilling career and life. You can find the book on Amazon, Audible, anywhere where books are sold. By the way, people are particularly loving the audiobook, which you can access right now in seconds. Here's a sneak peek into what we have coming up for you next week, right here on Happen to Your Career. How can you accomplish goals that require having connections, but not be transactional? Well, it turns out there are easy ways to begin relationships that are genuine and feel natural to the other party. What's the key? Well, it turns out it's stop forcing it. What if we only focused on what's easy for you? All that and plenty more next week right here on Happen to Your Career. Make sure that you don't miss it. And if you haven't already, click subscribe on your podcast player so that you can download this podcast in your sleep and you get it automatically. Even the bonus episodes every single week, sometimes multiple times a week. Until next week, adios. I'm out.